0: Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? Can I get a, a, a hearty amen for the word of the Lord? All right, we got Mrs. Ruth Kiros coming to read scripture for us. Now, you're doing English and Spanish, right? You want me to do the Spanish or you going to do it? Sure, you can do the Spanish. No, you go ahead. I don't want to show off today. You go ahead. Let me see. Okay, yeah, that's good. Good morning, everyone. We'll be reading today in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. I'll read it in English first and then in Spanish. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. (laughs) Y aquel verbo fue hecho carne y habitó entre nosotros, y vimos su gloria, gloria como la del unigénito del Padre, lleno de gracia y de verdad. Amen. 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 Somebody give it up for Ruth. (laughs) This morning uh, we'll be uh, discussing a topic that uh, most people don't want to touch. It's one of those topics where you're like, for real, y'all going to talk about that? Uh, But in reality, here's a church. We want to preach the word of God. We want to preach truth. um, And we don't believe that we get to cut out any of God's scripture, that we must subject ourselves to God's scripture and preach the truth of the word of God. And so I do uh, Backing your prayers as I begin to to tackle a very uh, tense topic in our society, uh, but I believe that God is going to make this fruitful for our church um, and help develop our thinking um, in a very tough category. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word, which is magnificent. There is no other book in the world like the Word of God. It cuts deeply but it heals. It is the one book that we don't only read, but it is reading us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would read us this morning. You would reveal our hearts. You would allow your word to be as a mirror to us, reflecting back to us our scars and our bruises. But we know that your word also heals. It sows up what has been torn. It fixed what has been broken. And so would you, by the power of your divine grace, in the authority of your word, be God in this place and do 10,000 things we have yet to dream of. Make your glory known this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And all those under the voice of God's word said. Amen. I have recently been reading a blog by Brian Laritz, titled, Our Gay Neighbor. In it, he talks about a young man named Caleb. What about Caleb? Caleb, who when he was, a, was young, his parents had an epiphany in which they came to accept they were both gay. So they promptly divorced, entered into same-sex relationships, and took Caleb to the Pride Day celebration where one of his earliest memories wrote Christians shouting Bible verses and hurling jars of urine on the marchers. Friends, I want to come out the gate and I want to say, truth without love isn't love, it's assault. It's the way that Brian Loritz puts it. Unfortunately, the posture of many churches towards the LGBT community has been all truth and no love. It has been launching out jars of hate towards their sin. And all truth with no love doesn't look like Jesus' cross. But it looks like Hitler's cross. Jesus' cross is one of grace and truth. Hitler's cross is one of evil. Jesus' cross reminds us that we were and are sinners and it tells the truth. But it also reminds us we are sinners saved by grace. John says it best about Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. He's full of Grace and truth. Hitler's cross reminds us of evil. It reminds us that people are evil, and when sinners think they can change other sinners, we end up with a bloody mess. When sinners think they can purify the earth, it becomes more polluted. And we owe the LGBT community an apology. We owe them an apology because the church has forsaken that community. We owe them a community because we have treated them as if grace stopped short over the LGBT community. We owe them an apology. That we have been more known as being homophobes than loving Christians. We owe them an apology. We have treated their shortcomings as different than our own shortcomings, we owe them an apology. But God's grace does not fall short on the basis of someone's sexual preference. The question is, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, how do we, the church, become ambassadors for Christ instead of missionary Nazis? And can I suggest that we just need to be like Jesus? We need to be full of grace, and we need to be full of truth. If we don't, we too will have taken the cross of Christ and made it crooked like Hitler's cross. We need to be like Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. This is what the young man Caleb did when he grew of age. He would turn to John 1.14 and would use these cohabitating virtues of Jesus to pot a path forward and to win some engagement with our friends in the LGBTQ plus community. And if we will reach our LGBTQ plus friends, we must be a church full of grace and truth. And before we dive in, we need to not just see letters. We need not just call them the alphabet community. We need to understand where they are and where they're coming from. We too often judge people before we know their story. (laughs) We hold the word prejudice in its real sense. We prejudge people before we know them. So let me tell you what the letters stand for. L stands for lesbian, B stands for bisexual, G stands for gay, T stands for transgender, Q stands for queer sexual minorities, gender fluid people whose gender identity fluctuates, transvestite, a person whose dress is opposite their genetic sex. How do we show grace and how do we show truth to our friends? I want to first start off with Jesus is full of grace. I could have shouted there because I'm glad that John puts grace before he puts truth. He could have have said truth. And we know that if God would deal with us in truth first, we wouldn't have time to repent. We'll all be dead, every last one of us. And this is what John says. He says, in the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen what? His glory. Glory as what? The only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What we see here in the verse is God becoming human. And we preach that often here. Don't grow callous to that. Marvel at that. Always be knocked off of your feet by the fact that God would become like you and I. That's a, that's a huge downgrade. That's like going from Android to iPhone. You feel me? Somebody's not clapping. Somebody said, I beg to differ. <laughs> what we see here in this verse is God becoming human. It's the invisible God, an eternal God, making himself known by becoming like you and I. Because there's you no know prior to this that God is invisible. And the question would be, what does God look like if God was to be seen? And here it is, Jesus is the answer to that question. What would he look like if he was able to be seen? Please don't let this pass you by. This verse is about the invisible, what you can't see, making himself known. When God makes himself known to us, we find first and foremost about him that he is a gracious God. The fact that you're breathing right now. It's evident that God is gracious. Because if we're being honest, and I know we're in church, and I know y'all feel with the Holy Ghost and y'all love y'all Bible and things like that, but the reality is is that we struggle to put God first in our lives. Can we just be honest? Sometimes we give little thought to God. We give more thought to our houses and our cars and our carpet in our houses some days than God. Yet, your breathing... In his land, in his earth. Now I know he gracious because my daughter, when she walks in the house and she don't acknowledge me, I about lose my mind. I'm so thankful that God isn't like that. But the reality is, is you do not know anyone until you know their true colors. And what do they reveal about themselves over time? If you got to know me, you would see that Pastor Dexter is silly, caring, passionate, and most of all, a sinner. This is why Justin Timberlake said if y'all won't say amen, I'll say amen. Justin Timberlake said, show me your true colors so that I know who you are. But John says, as as one who has been around Jesus, who has walked with Jesus, who has talked to Jesus, who has chilled with Jesus, who has kicked it with Jesus, who has been to the store with Jesus, who has been to church with Jesus, John says that Jesus is full of grace. Now, when people hang around you, they will say you are full of a lot of stuff. (laughs) And grace ain't one of them. And if I wasn't up here, I'd tell you what it is. See me later. Y'all ain't going to get me on tape. No, you're not. But I'll tell you in private. John saw Jesus' true colors, and what did he see? Grace. This is really good news. God could have chosen to become flesh as a judge and executioner. And all of us will be found guilty before him and be sentenced to everlasting punishment. What if God would have come with a Hitler's cross, but he came to die on a Roman cross? Watch the connection here. In the same verse, John says he is full of grace. He says he became flesh. What are you trying to say, John? What are you trying to articulate, John? What are you trying to convey, John? The word became flesh so that the death of Jesus would be a possibility. That the purpose in him coming flesh is so that he could die. The cross is where the fullness of grace shone most brightly. If you want to know whether God loves you, stop looking at the square footage of your home and your circumstances and look at the cross. Nothing will ever be a greater witness than the cross. Must not forget this, church. When God showed his true colors, he showed us grace. And when we see that the LGBTQ plus flag, when we see that full of colors and judgment overtakes our soul, may you be reminded of the color shown to you, which was the grace of God. But we'd be out of balance if we just said God was full of grace. And he wasn't full of truth. Jesus is not just full of grace. He is also full of truth. If we want a Jesus that is full of grace and not truth as well, well, we don't want Jesus. Grace without truth is like a body without bones. It cannot stand. Or at best, it's a hot mess. Truth is beautiful and good. And I know our society is challenging whether there's absolute truth or not. Believe whatever you want to believe, whatever truth you want to. But I'm here to tell you that truth precedes your belief. Whether you believe truth or not, it's still true. The sky is blue whether you believe it or not, and it'll be blue when you're gone. Because truth is not contingent on you. Truth is beautiful and it's good. It wasn't just grace that sent Jesus to the cross. We got to understand this, but truth sent him to the cross as well. And here it is again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Once again, when Jesus reveals his true colors, another color was truth. Grace and truth was shown at his apex on the cross. When Christ died, God was true to himself. God will not fail himself. God hates sin. God hates sin. God didn't save you so that you can indulge in your sinful behavior. That's not why he died. Yes, God loves you as you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you as you are. Okay, we got to start feeling the tension and the balance here. We live in a society, and I'm going to talk about this a little later in my message. We live in a society that wants to polarize us, make us choose between grace and truth, make you choose between Republican and Democrat. This is what society does, and we don't need to choose between the two. We want to be biblical, and sometimes being biblical means I got to stand in the tension of both, and that's okay. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was in both. It wasn't either or. It was both. And what can we learn from this? We, the church, must be willing to become and lay down our lives to be friends to sinners no matter what that sin is. Let me say it one more time. We, the church, must be willing to become And lay down our lives to be friends as sinners, no matter what that sin is. And we must not be willing to compromise truth to remain their friends, even if it costs us our life. (laughs) Christians ought to be full of grace and truth. And Jesus was crucified for both grace and truth. How? Religious people don't like his grace, and sinners don't like his truth. But if you want Jesus, you get both. (laughs) There's no other way around it. Truth, as we all know, without grace is condemnation, while grace without truth is compromise. And Jesus didn't come to condemn or compromise. He didn't come to condemn or compromise, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, right? So the purpose in which God is sending Jesus into the world is not to condemn the world, but he's sending his son into the world to save the world. That was his primary objective. That was his primary goal, not to condemn, but to save. We must be full of both. Isn't it funny that Jesus was full of both? How he's full of both, I can't explain. Because if you're full of one thing, you can't be full of the other thing. If you're full of mess, you can't be full of truth. It's either one or the other. If the bottle is full of Pepsi, Abel, it can't be full of Coke. But this is what it means to be God. He's big enough to be fully full of two things at the same time because he's never lacking in anything. He doesn't lack the capacity. But here's the question. We get that God could be both because he's God. But how in the world do we become full of both because we just human? Let's just be honest, y'all. Yeah, here it is. I'm either going to be nice to you. No, I'm not going to be too nice. (laughs) We either cool or we ain't cool. We either straight or we not straight. We either beefy. Oh, we're not beefing. I don't, I don't do the phony, right? Come on, can I get an amen up in here? I don't do the phony. If you ain't clapping, you may be the phony one. That's all right, though. That's all right. That's all right. Ain't no judgment in here. But we like, you're going to have to make a resolve on what you're going to be. But God wants us to be like Jesus. Jesus is the goal. We're not supposed to be the next David. We're not supposed to be the next Joseph. We're not supposed to be the next Ruth looking for your Boaz, going to the store, buying barley and throwing it on the ground. Stop doing that. We got people doing all kinds of stuff. Guys picking up stones. (laughs) Listen, the Bible calls you to be like one person and it's Jesus, all right? All right, you're not Daniel. Go in the lion's den if you want to. Go on, go, on, go, bitch, on, on up in there. <laughs> we will begin your funeral already. Go ahead, on up in there. <clears throat> I'm the three Hebrew boys. No, you not. That's why you got burns. Now, see you. You took it too far. You took it. Too... <laughs> let me get back to the warrior. Let me, let me wrangle it in. Let me wrangle it in. <clears throat> but how do we become both? The answer is. We need Christ to do this in us. But the question becomes how? Well, first and foremost, watch yourselves. Hold on to your seatbelt. We must not be full of ourselves. can say amen, say ouch. We must not be full of ourselves. If Jesus will fill you, he will empty you of you. There's not enough room for both you and Jesus. Somebody got to get over. Now, now, Paul actually helps us to understand this, how we do both. We see this in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul lives by grace and truth that is in Jesus. He It is the resurrected Christ that gives him the, the power to walk in both. If Christ lives in you, then you also can be full of grace and truth. Well, what came out of Christ when he dwelt in flesh? Grace and truth. What will come out of those in whom he dwells in? Grace and truth. But what does that look like? Well, I love this illustration. Taking that rubber band, Caleb, the young man I mentioned at the beginning, shows us how we followers of Jesus must hold these two in tension. If, for an example, we were to only hold the rubber band by one end, its power is lost. It's limp and it's lifeless. But the real power of the rubber band is when we hold it by both ends in tension at the same time. So it is with grace and truth. Grace by itself is limp. In fact, there can be no such thing as grace without truth. If grace means to give someone something they don't deserve, then the assumption is they violated a truth field standard. But if we dangle truth by itself without grace, we get an army of Christians who hurl Romans 1 grenades at our friends in the gay community. And let's just say that's not a recipe for revival. We need both at the same time Intention, And Jesus was the master at this. But how do we live out truth and grace to the LGBTQ community? We do it like Jesus. For an example... In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32, this is the story of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. Oh, I love the story of Jesus and Matthew the tax collector. Ask me why I love the story so much. Because when Jesus befriends Matthew, who's a tax collector, who's considered the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst, I say, oh, I... I got hope because I know good and well. If you know you, like I know me, you know good and well that this is a good story. But here it is. Jesus is on the move. He's on the move because he's starting his earthly ministry and Jesus is picking up his crew. He's picking up his team. It's like a pickup game on the basketball court. If you know anything about pickup five game, you pick your five guys. It's usually two captains. One dude here, one dude there. He's picking his team, you picking your team. But here's the thing. Trying to get the best players on your team. Yep, 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 yep. You want the best of the best on your team because you trying to you're trying to win. And there's always that one Joker in the back with the headband on, with the whole Jordan outfit. Everybody done figured out he can't hoop, but he got all the clothes on, right? Right. And don't nobody, and don't nobody, don't, don't nobody want that cat in the background, right? Um, and so so he's the last one to get get picked, but what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't go for the best of the best. And the reason why he doesn't have to go for the best of the best, because he doesn't need you to win. <clears throat> that when Jesus picks his team, he wants to pick his team in such a way that by the time the game is over, everybody will know that they won because of him and not because of what they have done. This is what Jesus does. This is what's so amazing. You know that I'm preaching the truth. You should have lost a long time ago, but you had a God on your side that's been carrying your weight and been carrying your mess, and you should have cracked down the middle. But because Jesus is all that in a bag of chips, he's been carrying you, and your mind is still intact. Your heart is still intact because he's specializes in winning the game with those who should lose the game. Jesus finds the worst, and he picks them up. We find Jesus then, not only that, Jesus then goes into the house of Matthew. Yeah, 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 Jesus, uh, just in case you didn't know, yeah, Jesus hangs around sinners. Uh, I know some of y'all are shocked. Y'all just thought that Jesus stayed in church. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, Jesus hangs around sinners. In fact, he's dwelling in you, so that's a, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I figured I'd just throw that on oh, you. just okay? You got who you was. Yeah, yeah, Jesus hangs, uh, hangs around sinners, and you're one of them, and that's okay. And so what we see is Jesus reclining at the table. He's hanging with, with sinners, and he's hanging with tax collectors. And what though the scribes and Pharisees grumble about in the company that Jesus keeps? Jesus says this, as they grumble about him hanging with Matthew, hanging with the tax collectors, Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, now watch grace and truth, right? He's hanging around sinners, but that doesn't mean that he's affirming them in their sin. We got to be careful here, right? Because we want to take grace all the way to the extreme. Y'all be wiling out and blaming it on grace. I need you to stop doing that, okay? I need you, you expand expanding the rubber band on the wrongs. You need to come here in the middle because Jesus says that I came to call them to repentance. We see the woman that's caught in adultery, Jesus stops her from being stoned. And then he says, go and sin no more. Jesus would go to the house. If he was alive today, Jesus would go to the house of a transgender person and have dinner with them. He would. He would. He would laugh with them. He would talk to them. I mean, perhaps they're boiling some, some oodles and noodles. But he'd eat that. He would get to know their story. He'd sit down. He'd want to know their story. He would treat them like he treated your pastor when he found me as a sex addict porn watching young man. God came into my life with grace, and it's funny that he came into my life with grace and met me where I am, but he sat down at my table. So I don't get why we feel like because somebody's sexual preference and we can't go over their house. That is wicked. Here's a word, and you may not come to church ever again. Get over yourself. If God could sit at your table and deal with your mess and love you where you are, you can sit at somebody else's table that's fallen and broken like you and have a meal with them for crying out loud. And hey, you're not going to go to hell for doing it. Because what we've done is that we, the church, have have, have, have have made up in our mind that if you're in the vicinity of sin, that you're affirming sin. Well, that means that Jesus was affirming a whole lot of sin then. Because he was in the closest vicinity. I mean, he eating their tacos, they chicken, everything. He in a recliner. He up in the bathroom, using was the washroom. I mean, if Jesus could do it. I mean, y'all no good self could at least let one person in your house answer sin, but they smell like we. You know what you smell like in the nostrils of God. You know what your sin smells like. I think it's critical. <clears throat> That we approach people with grace first and quit thinking that we got the right to change them. You're not you're not the doctor, God is. I think that we need to show God's grace before we show God's truth, or no one is going to want to hear God's truth. If God was to hit or deal with us first in truth, none of us will be saved. God showed us grace. Let's take the T in the LGBTQ. Why should I, Dexter Harris, show grace to my transgender neighbor? Now, I could say, man, you're messing up manhood. Girl, you're messing up womanhood. You are going to hell. I just don't get this identity crisis that you're going through. But if I respond like that, what I really don't get is how deep my own sin is what if god treats me like that because you know because you know what in my own way i have messed manhood up myself in fact all of us men in the room have messed manhood up in our own way we have reduced it down to being a dog so maybe you may not switch sexual things but you have but you have become a dog and which is worse becoming a woman or becoming a dog and i digress But God treated me with grace as I figured out and am figuring out manhood. Even the man I have become today and was is still because of his grace. And we need to understand just because we are in the vicinity of sinners doesn't mean we agree with their sin. But we also see that Jesus comes to call them to repentance. And repentance is turning away from sin, which is out of line with God and getting in line with God. God loves you as you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you as you are. Repentance is lining up with the truth of God. We say, God, you are right and I am wrong. That's repentance. What you have set in place is good and true. And so for me, it was functioning in a way that said that women are not sexual objects. Okay, we were family here. Let me be honest. When me and Paige decided to repent and do this thing the right way, man, it was hard. Yeah, y'all know that thing called celibacy? Yeah, that thing hard. Uh, yeah, sound sounds good. Yeah, it does, especially when you leave in church and the pastor didn't preach and you feeling encouraged in your soul. And then you get out in the car. And when you get out in the car, there's this thing called flesh that creeps up. Oh, you know, you were excited. You had the word. We going to do this. And then all of a sudden, something catch the eye right here in the peripheral area right here. Just walks right past you. That's how it is. Don't it. To bam, right there. It caught you. And so, and so, so, but the struggle was real. Some weeks were good, some days were bad, but not for a moment. did you forsake me? But that he kept walking with me. And oftentimes we expect that when people come to Jesus that everything's just going to go away, Are we okay with struggling sinners in this church? It's not easy. But I did have to come to realize that I was taking something that didn't belong to me. Women are not sexual objects for my sexual pleasure, but they are made in the image of God for His glory with inherent worth and value. Amen. And God, by your grace, I will strive to live according to your truth. Would you forgive me and cover me in the blood of Jesus? And for my transgender friend, it would be that God, you have made two genders male and female, and you have made me X and you have not made me Y, and for many reasons I'm not okay with how you have made me, but Lord, can you help me? I turn from my definition of what, it, of, of, of what, is, a, of what is gender and I turn to yours. I do not need a sex change, what I need is you. God, will you help me by your grace to walk in your truth? In both cases, the ultimate goal is not me becoming a married, faithful man or them becoming a a man or a woman or X or Y. The goal is getting to Jesus. It's not getting people to be heterosexuals. There's going to be a lot of heterosexuals in hell. Heterosexual doesn't save you. (laughs) Believing in Jesus does. Now let me say this, I wanna put a caveat here. Let me say this, if you're struggling with transgender, homosexuality, I do not fully understand your situation. I stand up here as a man that has not struggled with that. I do know that we need Jesus. And I will say this as well, that if you're struggling with that, we don't just wanna throw Jesus in your face. We want to walk with you and we want to see, hear your story and see ways we can come alongside of you and help. So how are we feeling right now about grace and truth? We usually experience the tension. Do you feel it in your soul right now? In us, when we talk about grace and truth, we feel the tension in our soul. I know I felt it when I was writing this message. We are always weighing, is that too hard? Is that too soft? Did we err enough on love? Did we err enough on truth? But here is the main thing. Don't err to please man. Err to please God. Because no matter what you do, you're not going to please society somebody's going to hate you, and somebody's going to love you. No matter how hard and soft and delicate you try to be, somebody's going to say, Pastor, you said that too hard. Pastor, you said that too soft. But you can't aim to please man. The moment you do that, you're sending people off. In fact, Jesus went through this. Yeah, he did. Um, He had the Pharisees talking about him on one end. He had the church folks over here saying, man, you hanging with sinners, you ain't no good, you know, uh, you going over people's houses. We can't deal with that. Then you got sinners over here saying that you're calling us to repentance. What do you mean? That's not love. And Jesus says, John the Baptist came, and he tells y'all to repent. Y'all said he was too tight. I come showing y'all grace. Y'all say that I'm not enough. And Jesus is like, I don't care what none of y'all say. I'm going to do what God says, and I'll leave the consequences to him. Because at some point in America, the rubber band is going to pop. The polarization is here. The armies are lining up. And when the smoke clears, what are you standing on? The word of God or what man thinks and feels? Because I remember the word of Jesus that said, the man who built his house on sand when the storm came, it came tumbling down. But the man who built his life on the rock when the storm came and the wind blew. When it was all said and done, those who are standing on the gospel, you'll look around and you'll still be standing. Because God has an ability of preserving his people. (laughs) You feel the tension, even in this particular subject. The Christian life isn't supposed to be simple. It's complex. It's a hard line to walk. And someone is not going to like you. If Jesus went to someone's house who was in the LGBT community They would probably say, oh, Jesus must think that this is okay. If Jesus tells someone from the LGBT community to repent and turn from their sins, Jesus is now intolerant. We as the church, we want to do both. We believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, but we will invite to our dinner table a same-sex couple. We believe that there is only two genders, male and female, but would invite to our dinner table a male that, that, that has identity-struggling issues. Feel the tension. Good. And live in it. Jesus did it. He sat with a woman who no one wanted to talk to at the well one day. Jesus lived in the tension. Get used to it. Jesus ate with tax collectors while religious leaders shook their heads and sucked their teeth over the strangeness. Get used to it. And to shock and the awe of many, Jesus allowed his feet to be wept over and anointed by a prostitute while people was like, what in the world are you doing? Get used to it. His closest friends were a circle of rejects and people asked why. Get used to it. And yes, this is the same Jesus that answered. If you ask, where did human gender come from? By gender, I do not simply mean gender sex. By sex, I don't mean reproduction. I mean the actual XX or XY chromosome and the correlating sexual plumbing, Gentella, that goes with those sexual chromosomes. Jesus would quote, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Jesus would say that who you are, the gender and who you are is the one that God created you to be. Do you feel the tension? Good. Live in it. Yeah. You think Bruce Jenner would be at Jesus' dinner table? You better believe so. You think Caitlyn Jenner would be at his dinner table? You better believe so. And do you think that Jesus would compromise the scripture? You better believe he wouldn't. But no one will ever accuse him of being a jerk and uncompassionate and no one would ever accuse him of taking even a dot away from the word of God do you know your savior in here let your dinner tables testify then does your dinner table make people uncomfortable if your table is full of grace and truth then it looks like Jesus Listen, your sin will never be affirmed here in this church, but you will be loved here. Jesus did life with people that made others around him uncomfortable. Make your dinner table a place that makes people uncomfortable. Invite the poor. Invite the lame. Invite the rich. Invite the successful. Bring them all to the table because the gospel is able to hold them both in tension. I love the gospel. Oh, I love the gospel. The reason why I love it is because it takes those who are high and it brings them down. And it takes those who are low and it brings them up. It's the greatest balance ever, the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Y'all remember little Zacchaeus? Little Zacchaeus up in the tree. Getting the Jewish leaders grumbled because Jesus had gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. Imagine that. Though Zacchaeus repents and is changed, the Jews simply cannot accept the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, this notorious tax collector. Listen, when you are on mission with the gospel, even if people get saved, Those looking on may not change their point of view. And you got to be okay with that. You're going to lose some friends doing this. You're going to lose some clout. It's okay. You wasn't all that anyways. You wasn't all that. But if Jesus did not come into the world... Sinners could not be reached. He had to go. He had to dwell. He had to be. And we got to get past. I'm going to bring you to church so the pastor can save you. No, you got to open up your own lives. You got to open up your own heart and open up what God is giving you so that people can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's get practical. I want to leave you with three things. And I think Brian Loritz gives some good practical advice for us Christians. How can I love my neighbor and disagree at the same time? Pastor Dex, our church believes in two genders, right? Male and female, yes. Okay, how do I coexist with friends that think differently? Number one, you want to remember this, love and disagreement can coexist. Love. And disagreement can coexist. This is what Brian LaRitz says. Tolerance implies, I know some of y'all struggling with it in marriage, but y'all still with each other. Thank you for the illustration. (laughs) Tolerance implies I must extend an explicit endorsement to your truth. To not do so is seen as being bigoted, but this is not how tolerance was originally conceptualized. Generations ago, tolerance was defined as the ability to disagree civilly. Boys have, boy, have things changed, Brian Luritz says. Christians are not called to be tolerant or to even be exclusive by modern definition. Instead, Christ's followers are to love. Given this, it's quite possible to love someone and disagree with them at the same time. And if you want a picture of this, look at, just, uh, look at just about every parent in the room. My kids have made some colossal mistakes. And there are some things that I don't agree with with my daughter. But you know what? She's still living in my house, eating my food, and sucking up my heat because I still love her. Okay, Pastor, that's a good one. Okay, okay, we rocking with you. We can't just eat and drink. Well, we got to make sure that the goal is Jesus. As Christians, I'm far more interested with a person's soul than their sexuality. And I think it's safe to say Jesus agrees. When I befriend people who don't know Christ, I pray and plead they will come to know Jesus. I actually think the enemy wants to distract us by having us consume with lesser sidebar issues than their souls. Satan is pleased if, the, if, if, if he can distract us with Roman 1 debates. We need to let Jesus move in, move in and he'll deal with the rest. Please remember this. It is likely the key to balancing grace and truth is having Jesus in the center. And here's the last one. Here it is. Get ready for it. Strap in. Come on, Leanne. Here it comes. Look at me. The last key is to remember that you're no better than your neighbor. I know y'all was looking for something real profound and prolific. But if you could just keep at the bottom of your soul, that ain't no better than nobody else. Brian Larissa said, I had a member of our church, I love this story, who found out one of our leaders in ministry struggles with homosexuality. So she decided to confront her pastor. Her pastor smiled and told her, I knew about this person and had engaged in numerous conversations with them and was fine with them serving in ministry. She was appalled. And how he could allow such things to happen. He said, I share with her how this person is leaning on the grace of God one day at a time in their journey. And while they are living victoriously, they have been. there has been some defeated moments in their life. Then he leaned over and said to her, tell me, is that any different from you or me? We may have different struggles, but if you're perfect, please let me know. And I'll remove him. She couldn't say anything. Everybody's struggling. From the pastor on down. It is when we're arrogant in our sin that we got to hit you with hard truth. But if you're struggling, that's a whole lot of grace for you. Can we live in a tension, church, of grace and truth? Can we love our neighbors well? I challenge you to go and befriend people, particularly in the LGBTQ plus community. And do me a favor, when you do, at least for six months, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. Just listen, hear their story, love on them, and let them invite you to an opportunity to speak into their lives. And may God be gracious to you, and may you feel the power of the Holy Spirit as you do, because when we go and be light, God is with us, and he will give us testimony for the sake of his glory. And God wants people saved more than you do. Listen, we as a church, we're not doing this perfectly. We're trying to figure this thing out. I pray for your grace towards me as a pastor, us as leadership. We're trying to walk this line best we can, love people best we can, and help the church to live this out best we can. Amen.